HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is a soul mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Michael Romano, who is chef consultant at Union Square Hospitality Group, which operates 12 restaurants in New York City and a sister restaurant in Tokyo called Union Square Tokyo. And Michael opened the restaurant. And he was inducted to Who's Who of Food and Beverage in America by the James Beard Foundation in 2000 and the best chef in New York City in 2001. So today we'll talk about his unique experience in Japan. Hello and welcome to the show, Michael. Hi, Akiko. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome. So you are known as uh, the former executive chef at the very popular New American restaurant Union Square Cafe, which now celebrates 30th anniversary. That's right. So uh, first of all, how did you become a chef? Well, let's see. (laughs) I was... um, Studying at a regular uh, academic college, actually Fordham University in the Bronx, and uh, got through about two years of it and really wasn't enjoying it very much and wasn't very happy. And um, I happened to be working at a restaurant, which amazingly is still there. It's called Serendipity Mm. in New York City. I believe it's 60th Street. And um, the owners were friendly with James Beard, the late James Beard, and Mm. uh, arranged an introduction um, for me to meet him. So I went down to the, the West Village there, sat in his kitchen with him, and we talked, and he said, well, you know, if you like this business, why don't you go to school and learn how to do it? Mm-hmm. So I took his advice, and I enrolled in the uh, New York City Technical School in Brooklyn, here in Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. um, 
studied uh, and just never looked back, and it was a, a mm. good choice. Wow. Yeah. And you were training uh, in Paris and southern France? Yes, I worked uh, for two years in uh, France in different places, and then four years in Switzerland. Mm. So a total of six years in Europe uh, training before coming back to right. New York. And you worked for uh, Michel Girard, and was That's really right. the best, one of the best chefs in the whole yes. world. Yes, he was. It, that was an amazing apprenticeship, amazing time uh, to work with him. Uh, it was sort of at the moment of the Nouvelle Cuisine, and and uh, got to work in his flagship restaurant, the Three Star Restaurant in Eugenie les Bains, in mm-hmm. the southwest of France, and also in Paris. So uh, yeah, it was a great, <laughs> great experience. Right. Uh, and then you decided to come back to New York in 1984, and uh, you worked at the, the legendary French restaurant La Clavel. Yes, I was the chef there, the first uh, non-French chef there, uh, and I, I was there for four years, from 84 to 88. Mm. So the what the. Uh, up to then, every French restaurant had a French chef, and you are yes. <laughs> an American chef. <laughs> Definitely. Right. That's changed now, but, um, but at that point, that was, that was r- rather unique. Mm. Great. And uh, in 1988, you joined uh, Union Square Cafe. And yes. how, how did you get to know the owner, Danny Meyer, and join the company? Uh, when I got back to uh, New York... Before landing the job at La Caravelle, I was looking around. Obviously, I needed to, to get back into the, the system here. And um, I wound up at a place called, uh, it was called Pesca. It's no, mm-hmm. no longer open. And um, I took a job as kind of a co-chef there because the owner had an idea to open a new restaurant. And in the dining room was this fellow named Danny Meyer. He was a young guy in his mid-20s. And... Um, we became friends. Uh, we sort of took note of each other, and he could see that I had a different kind of training than uh, most people he had met. And he was in the dining room because he wanted to learn the business, and he had this notion to open his own restaurant. Mm-hmm. So uh, in 88, uh, I'm sorry, in 85, he opened Union Square Cafe. He was 27 at the time. It's pretty mm-hmm. remarkable. And I went to, in 84, to La Caravelle. Mm. But through different people we had in common, different contacts, he um, kept hearing about my name and he sort of, you know, followed my progress. And then three years into Union Square Cafe, uh, he was looking for a new chef and um, he gave me a call. Mm. Wow, it's amazing. And uh, so he became uh, the executive chef. Right. right? And then you, then you earned the three stars from New York Times uh, in uh, 1989, and right. uh, while you were there, you had uh, been ranked most popular in New York City uh, by the Zagat survey for record of seven years. I believe we hold the record for the most number one, uh, most popular in the Zagat. Right, and also you received uh, the James Beard Award for Outstanding Restaurant of the Year in yes. 1997. What amazing! Yeah, achievement. we've got a whole slew of James Beard awards and we're proud of every one of them and uh, it was an amazing time <laughs> right yeah actually I was visiting um, the first time I think the second time I visited New York City I had a dinner at the Union Square Cafe uh-huh. and I still remember lavender crusted duck yeah <laughs> yeah that was amazing yeah yeah so and then in, in 2007 uh, you went to Japan and opened Union Square Cafe, sister res- restaurant, Union Square Tokyo. Right. So um, when you asked to work on the new project in Tokyo, what, what was your reaction? Well, I was actually very much in favor of it. You have to go back a little bit in history. 
my personal history. Mm -hmm. um, in 1983, I was working in Switzerland for a fellow um, who's no longer with us, sadly, but he had a, a wonderful restaurant called Chez Max mm -hmm. in Zurich. And uh, Max was a very volatile, very uh, creative chef, and he loved to take these trips all around the globe, uh, cooking and whatnot. And one of the trips he decided to go on, he took me with him, was a week-long cooking competition in Tokyo with 15 countries participating. This was way before Iron Chef or anything like that. Mm. And uh, we had a week in Tokyo, and we prepared our dishes, and then it was all spread out for a... a it culminated in a two-hour live TV show, which was amazing. <laughs> but that was my first taste of Japan in 83, and I just was completely smitten. I thought it was the most amazing place. And um, for so many reasons, the people, the culture, the food... And I didn't know if I would ever get a chance to go back there, um, but I hoped that I would. And in uh, 2004, mm. I did get another opportunity. I was asked by the uh, Hilton Hotel in Nagoya to do a week-long Union Square Cafe cooking mm. um, celebration. So I did that. I took my pastry chef then, and uh, the two of us went. Got to see a little bit more of, of Japan. Mm. So when this project started, you know, we were approached by the, the Wonder Table group who owned the restaurant in mm -hmm. Tokyo um, to possibly do one of our restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, so Wonder Table has, uh, they operate over 100, almost 150 restaurants worldwide. I don't know if it's quite that many, but it's close. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, they have a lot of restaurants. A lot of them are so not not fast food, but sort of simple concept like shabu shabu and, mm -hmm. and this kind of thing, and they do quite well. And um, so Union Square Tokyo was a, was a kind of a departure for them, a, you know, a tablecloth mm -hmm. sort of fine dining mm -hmm. thing. But they loved our restaurants, and so we went to visit and mm -hmm. loved what they were doing. So we made this this deal. But I was sort of pushing for it because it would give me. I knew it would give me an opportunity to. Mm -hmm. Go back to Japan. Oh, okay, <laughs> right. But uh, let me ask you. So um, I heard that you went to you know, the first time you went to Japan. You went to Kicho restaurant, the Kaiseki restaurant. That but, was way back with Max. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, and you said that you were very impressed by the experience. Extremely impressed. <clears throat> the um, you know the seasonality of the food, the beauty of the food, the way the food matched, the, rather the the um, the dishware matched the food. Mm -hmm. You know, up until that point. In, back here in, in the States, uh, plateware meant round and white mm. <laughs> dishes. And I was so amazed by how uh, uh, different shapes and different forms and beautiful handmade irregular dishes could be used and the colors could match the food. And there was such a subtlety and, and an incredible... Um, delight for all your senses right. in that in that meal. Yeah. Well, by the way, Kicho is a uh, Kaiseki cuisine restaurant, and uh, right. Kaiseki is a traditional multi-course Japanese dinner, and featuring taste, texture, appearance, and the colors of local food. Right, and it season. actually came from the tea ceremony. Right. The kaiseki mm -hmm. it started out as the you know what you ate before you got into the mm -hmm. actual tea ceremony. Right, and also there is another kaiseki which is also uh, it is it. It's not uh, vegetarian, but it's more like feast type of, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so the kitchen is really famous. And then, you know, those expensive Kaiseki restaurants have even warehouse, I heard, too. Because they change the dishes and oh, yes. you have to change yes. the, the tableware seasonally. Yeah. So they need a storage. Yeah. No, I, I marvel that, you know, how do they keep the inventory of all of those <laughs> plates? It's so amazing. Right. Okay. And uh, what about uh, the service? 
the service was astounding. Uh, we were in our own private room. We were three of us. And I remember the uh, server, female in, in Kibono, coming. She would slide open the door and then somehow get from the door to our table. But you never really saw her like bend down or kneel down. It was like this one graceful, mm. beautiful movement. Where she was standing, mat. and then all of a sudden she was at our level. Uh-huh. It was this sort of gliding in. <laughs> and, and you never, ever heard pieces of cutlery or um, dishes hitting against each other. Everything mm. was taken away with such grace. And another thing I noticed is that she would get to the table. She wouldn't immediately start clearing she would sit and sort of mm. let the air <laughs> settle mm. all around us and, um, and then slowly start to clear the table. And there was a, there was a pace and a rhythm that was so calming and mm. so, uh, so beautiful. It was like choreography. Yeah. Uh, all of these things were so impressive. Wow. I'm impressed at how mm. you beautifully describe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that moment is called Duma. It's like the moment, mm. like, yeah. uh, you know, the martial arts also. Yes. The moment contains... Yeah. Learned the you know over over the time I learned the, this concept of the wa mm. or the harmony mm. and to to create and to maintain and to uh, treasure that harmony in all things and that's such a beautiful concept mm. in Japan that I really right. appreciate. So wa is uh, washoku is Japanese cuisine, so that right. harmony is already uh, included in the concept mm. of Japanese cuisine. I think. Yes. Right. So. Um, uh, so, you know, what kind of, you know, how you decided, so let's just talk about your restaurant in, you know, mm-hmm. you know Junjin Yusuke Tokyo. So, um, yeah, you are asked to open a restaurant. Right. And uh, expectation was to replicate Junjin Yusuke Tokyo or mm-hmm. you do something, a Junjin Yusuke Cafe or you do something new? Well, uh, that's a very good question. We decided early on that we would not try to exactly replicate Union Square Cafe. In other words, go there with a package of recipes and say, here, do this. We decided that we would try to engage the chef there, who I had met and I was instrumental in hiring, and, um, of course, bring a lot of our dishes, bring the sensibility, the sense of what it is like to dine at Union Square Cafe, try to reproduce that rather than exact recipes, knowing that, you know, people eat differently, to look at food differently, the ingredients are different, so we didn't want to force the issue. And I think that was a wise choice, because some of the dishes, like, I, I don't know if you remember, we used to do this filet mignon of tuna that mm. was wildly popular in, um, <clears throat> at Union Square Cafe, and we thought, because it had, it had you know, soy sauce and ginger, and, and um, it was kind of Japanese in a mm-hmm. sense, the feeling, we thought, well, this is going to be a, a home run, this is going to be great. And we got, <laughs> we got there, and people were like, uh, I don't know about this. First of all, it was an enormous piece of tuna, mm-hmm. and I actually had one come back to the kitchen, and people said, could you split this nine ways, please? <laughs> <laughs> it was a table of nine, they wanted it all cut up, so we did it. But um, they didn't quite get, okay, the tuna is seared on the outside but it's raw in the middle and you put why are you putting pickled ginger on it that's only for sushi and and uh, so after a while i decided not to fight it so we dropped it mm. and we did a different preparation for the tuna and um and that was a learning experience because it's this is not you know tokyo is not new york and, mm. and um so people you have to respect the way people eat and, you know all the while they were coming to an American restaurant. They wanted an American right. dining experience. But just as Union Square Cafe has always been very sensitive and very uh, influenced by different 
countries and different cuisines. You can find Italian, French. While I was there, I used to do Indian food at times. So Tokyo now feels American, but yet there are definitely Japanese touches to it, and、mm. the portions are much smaller. <laughs> <laughs> right.、Um, but it's interesting, right? Because Japanese people、uh, had a, you know, assumption soy must be used in. Not in American、yes. context. Oh, definitely.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Japanese people go out to dinner thinking not、uh, what restaurant are we going to go to, it's what kind of cuisine are we going to have. Should、mm-hmm. we have Chinese? Should we have French? Should we have Italian? And the categories are a bit more strict in, in, in their minds because、uh, it helps、mm-hmm. to understand what's going on. Right. Okay. And,、uh, well, by the way, that restaurant is in a very fancy shopping mall. Yes. Okay, so, <laughs>、yeah. in, in one of these、um, developments, like the, the,、um, one of the earlier ones was Roppongi Hills, which is about 12 years old now, I think. And、um, ours is called Tokyo Midtown.、Mm-hmm. It's kind of an you know, American name, Midtown. But,、um, and yes, there's high end、uh, retail, there's business, there's、um, uh, shops, entertainment,、uh, and restaurants. And,、mm, yeah. Right. So, you have to <coughs> stand out as a. New American restaurant. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And、uh, what about、uh, the kitchen stuff? Like you interviewed, you said we recruited people. So, was, are you the only American person or other? Yes. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, I、uh, really was involved only with the chef, the hiring of the chef, and then they did the, the、mm-hmm. other hiring. But I have to say,、uh, there are still some people there from the beginning,、mm-hmm. so eight years.、Um, and The staff has been, they've been great. They've been really good. Some, you know, they've come and gone. That's not unusual. But、um, very, it's great to work with them. You、mm-hmm. know, and the kitchen's quite small, as is typical in, in Tokyo.、Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody, it's amazing how everybody kind of gets along and there's not the kind of、uh, discomfort with a very small space that you、mm-hmm. might expect. Well, but, you know, you didn't speak Japanese. Back then, right? I've been、yeah. studying it forever, but it's,、uh, it's a difficult thing. You know.、mm. How did you communicate with、uh, the Japanese staff? A little, mostly English, some Japanese.、Uh, you just can, you can get your point across what you need、mm. to do. The most, the most difficult, I have to say, is in a tense situation, very、uh, you know, fast moving situation where I'm trying to do something, explain something, and I don't have the words. And they're, you know, it's like, I want to just say, no, no, do it this way. And it's.、Um, But the, it, there were a lot of fun moments. I remember the, the cooks would take things very literally.、Mm. And I remember、um, putting together a dish, and I think I was sort of, it was a dish I was working on, so I didn't have an exact recipe. And、um, so were, the cooks were all standing around, and I was adding ingredients to the pot, and I turned and grabbed a pinch of salt and threw it in the pot. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw one of the cooks taking. A similar pinch and putting it on a scale <laughs> to get an exact weight <laughs> for that pinch. <laughs> It's a very Japanese, very Japanese. So now when I do recipes, I weigh everything to, in grams and、uh, convert everything from our silly cups and ounces and put them into grams. And、uh, so they have a nice recipe、right. when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right.、Um, so now let's take a short break here. And、uh, when we come back, I will talk about, more about how Michael built a New American restaurant in Tokyo. So please stay with us.
Hi, this is Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And you know, I remember my very first show, December 2009. It was a cold winter. And my first guest was William Grimes from the New York Times. Now, the one specific I had to tell him was, wear a hat, gloves, and a warm coat, because our studio had no heat. We had no heat in the winter. We had no air conditioning in the summertime. It was rough going, but we were a startup, and we had a good show, regardless of the fact that we could see our breath. So today, we still have hurdles to climb over, and the only way we can get there is with your help. So if you would please consider being a member and press that little beating heart button in the upper right-hand corner to donate. It's going to help us have heat and electricity and air conditioning and really good sound with really great guests. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Michael Romano, who is a chef consultant at Union Square Hospitality Group, which operates 12 restaurants in New York City and a sister restaurant in Tokyo called Union Square Tokyo. And Michael opened the restaurant in 2007. So um, I think uh, things work very differently in Japanese kitchen. And uh, what's the biggest culture shock that you faced? <laughs>、um, well, The Union Square Tokyo is not run like a Japanese kitchen、mm. um, because we're not doing Japanese food. So, the training that they've had, the cooks, that is, yes, it's, most of them have come from some Japanese、uh, background. There was one fellow who was very skilled, had worked in、uh, sushi places and this kind of thing. So, he could, his skill at cutting fish was amazing. But,、um, other than that, it's not、uh, that much different than.、Um, Uh, you know, another Western kitchen.、Mm. I noticed early on that when it was, a, I had to laugh to myself because when, when someone sneezes, nobody says, God bless you. Yeah, right. <laughs> We never say <laughs> that. Right. And I was kind of used to that, especially being the chef, and you expect everyone to chime in. And I would sneeze and nothing would happen. Silent. <laughs> Silence. And I realized,、oh, okay, so scratch that one off. <laughs> right.、Um, Yeah, but you know, you said earlier, you know, in a tiny little kitchen, people moving elegantly without crashing into it. It was、other. amazing. I was so, I was ex- expecting all kinds of, you know, arguments to break out or probably, you know, things being dropped or broken. But no, people negotiate the space. It's, they're not uncomfortable in the space. And、uh, I'm sure they wish they had a bigger space, but it's,、uh, it's quite typical.、Mm. Yeah, Do you think they、typical. talked or made an arrangement? Um, physically? No, that's just the way it happens. Yeah, I think people just, you know, that's one of the one, most wonderful things that I realized about Japanese culture when I started going there. Because you, you can look at it on a macro level of the whole, the whole country. It's a, it's a we society as、mm. opposed to, I consider certainly New York to be more of a me society.、Mm. And by we society, I mean, it seems like people have made this agreement okay, we all have to live together on this little island.、Mm. So let's make. Agreements so that it all goes smoothly and will ways to behave that、uh, will sort of lubricate the social uh, uh, contacts and、mm. make things more agreeable. And people, by and large, go by that. You don't、right. see the kind of open conflicts or conflagrations that you do here.、Mm. That's classic. Like on、mm. subway, 
you oh. know, in the morning, it's impossible. Millions of millions of people get, have to get on the subway yeah. at the same time. <laughs> so they create a little system, yeah. you know, this block of people yeah. of, uh, you know, lining up. Mm-hmm. And then the train by train, they yeah. move to the... They're so good at lines. <laughs> I love it. I love it. They really understand lines. And they have, now they have the um, women-only subway cars in the morning. Mm. Because right. of the problem of you know un- unwanted mm-hmm. touching, and so they the cars reserved just for women. It's mm. a cool idea. <laughs> they know how to survive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and uh, I think you, you told me also that uh, you're surprised there's no dishwasher in Japan. In our yeah, there was no. I don't think it's atypical either. There's no dishwasher, no pot washer. So the the cooks are, are washing the pots as they go, and the someone from the dining room staff is manning the dishwashing machine mm. uh, during the service. So it's like one of the they take. Turns, you right. know. Yeah. So and I, they, they work hard. They really work hard. They work lunch and dinner shifts. Mm. Um, often they'll like go to sleep on the banquets in the afternoon, right. uh, in between the shifts. And, mm. and also, I think uh, everybody's paid by salary, not by. Tip, I think right? I think that's the case. Yeah. So they, oh yeah, the, no tips. Yeah. Right, and yeah. the front of the house, back of the house, they kind right. of naturally communicate and then help each other. Yes. Yes. Right. There is not. Uh, there's not that um, animosity or, or uh, infighting that you see in a lot of restaurants that, that I really, really dislike uh, mm. between the front of the house and back of the house. It, it, I haven't seen that. Yeah, mm. it's it's great. Right. And also, I think uh, you also said uh, you're impressed by how clean and meticulously they keep cleaning things. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, just go to any sushi restaurant and a good good place in in uh, Tokyo, and you'll see how. The, the chef will not go on to the next move with his knife without wiping it down mm. and keeping the boards very clean. It, it, it's it's great. That's great. And I, I wanted to say, um, <clears throat> excuse me, something I've noticed is, you know, I've been in this business over forty years, mm. and when I was a young cook coming up, and uh, it was it was all about France. It was all about going to France and the great French chefs, and certainly they are great, and and they have contributed so much to our uh, understanding of great cuisine. But nowadays, uh, you go into any good restaurant in New York City of a certain standing, and you're going to find a couple of things. And you go into the kitchen, you're going to find many of the cooks, if not most of the cooks, are using Japanese knives. Mm. And you're also going to find some kind of Japanese plateware, and you're going to find a lot of Japanese ingredients. Mm. And even to the point where you have downright Japanese kind of dishes mm. in some of the great restaurants. I mean, look at Le Bernardin, these kinds of places, even our Gramercy Tavern, and they're using all kinds of Japanese dishes now. And, and it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Japan has become such a major influence mm. in our, our cuisine here. In uh, in even New York and probably throughout the states, but mm. uh, and I personally I welcome it, but I think it's it's an amazing phenomenon. Right, because they have long history to meticulously perfect everything. Absolutely, <laughs> so. and they do, and not only Japanese cuisine, but you go to a good Italian restaurant in Tokyo, for example, and it's wonderful. They mm. do such a good job, really impressive. Right, and some uh, like French chef and Italian chef often say, we really want to have a traditional. Really traditional French or Italian restaurant, and you go to Tokyo because they, right. you know, they yes. just name you master, and they really replicate it and right. taste them right. with the local ingredients. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, well, let's uh, talk again about Union Square Tokyo because uh, you know the concept of a new American cuisine is uh, still new to you know Japanese people, 
And、uh, unfortunately, many Japanese people only think of American cuisine as fast food and oversized portions.、Mm. So, what was the biggest challenge to develop a menu in Union Square Tokyo? I think one of the bigger challenges was、um, you know, if you go back to the beginnings of Union Square Cafe in New York, there was an eclecticism about the restaurant. It was hard, and I remember many reviews. Uh, struggled with this to pin down well, what kind of restaurant is it? Is it American? Is it because, but、well, wait, there's, there's pasta, there's risotto, there's、um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> some French influenced dishes, there's even later on some Indian dishes. What kind, what kind of restaurant is this? But I think in New York, people were much more willing and ready to accept it、mm-hmm. as okay, it's just Union Square Cafe, it's eclectic,、uh, food's great, and Uh, you know, let's go.、Uh, in Japan, that's a little, that was a little more difficult. People wanted、mm-hmm. to know well, wait a minute, it's an American restaurant, so why are they serving pasta and risotto and all this kind of thing? And it was a little bit of a struggle in the beginning, but the most gratifying and wonderful thing to see now, sort of、uh, eight years into it, is people are accepting it on its own terms.、Mm. And we have wonderfully loyal regulars that I see at the, you know, having dinner at the bar. They're there three times a week, kind of thing. Some even more.、Um, and nothing is more gratifying than that. So they've come to accept the place on its own terms. Well, it's Union Square Tokyo. That's what it is.、Mm-hmm. And yes, they'll say it's American food. But American food does embrace all of those different influences, you、right. know,、uh, unless, unless you're getting a very specific regional type of American food, New England, Louisiana, this kind of thing. But in New York, New York is such a melting pot that、mm-hmm. what, what is called American food. Automatically embraces a lot of different influences.、Right. Oh, that's、know. a big success because for、mm. the Japanese mind, I think you know, you don't have a Japanese restaurant. It has to be kaiseki or kapo、right. or tempura or sushi.、Exactly. You have to know the category exactly.、Right. You can expect that's, that's a good comparison, yeah. Because、uh, here in New York, we might say, oh, it's a Japanese restaurant.、Mm. But even then, we're getting more sophisticated. But in Japan, as you point out, it's not, you don't go to a Japanese restaurant, you go to a certain type of cuisine. Right. So, okay, and how do you describe Japanese diners? Are they、uh, very hard to please? Actually, <clears throat> no, I don't think so. I think there's much less influence、um, from blogs and, and writers and, and this kind of thing than here, and comparatively to New York. And I've always been impressed how, you know, I'm such a, a maniac for getting hot food out hot out of the kitchen. And, It seems to be slightly less of a priority there.、Mm. They don't mind when the food is kind of just a couple of shades less than very hot,、mm. and, uh, which makes it easier on the kitchen to,、um, for sure. But、um, no, I don't, I don't. I think maybe there is a, a, a natural Japanese trait of trying to avoid conflict, so they might、mm. not send something back、oh, okay. as readily as、uh, someone in New York might. But、um, I found it very, very enjoyable, very agreeable.、Mm. Okay, and do you think、uh, your experience in Japan changed your style of cooking?、Uh, yes, uh, definitely for myself.、Uh, a lot of the meals I eat are for myself, by myself, and I definitely am using Japanese ingredients and techniques, and I'm eating much lighter,、um, probably 95% fish、mm. in my diet, and vegetables, and I eat a lot of rice now.、Mm. <laughs> um, I really. That was one of the things to come to appreciate a simply cooked, really high quality bowl of white rice,、mm. um, just on its own, with nothing on、oh. it. And when it's great, 
I remember I had it at a uh, there's a three star Michelin restaurant called Kanda mm-hmm. in, in the Kanda area in Tokyo, and uh, he served us a, just a beautiful bowl of of this outstanding rice. On the side was a pickled plum, and he said, just taste the rice, and it was, oh, it was a revelation. Mm-hmm. Just no salt, nothing. It was just amazing, mm-hmm. and that's a big. Um, my use of salt has changed since um, eating and dining and uh, uh, cooking in Japan. Um, I guess I think my sensitivity to it has increased, so I find anything salty that I didn't used to find salty. Oh wow! Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was thinking about that the other day. I don't recall ever having uh, dining in a restaurant in Japan and saying, mm, this is good, but it's too salty. I, I can't recall that ever happening, whereas that has happened here mm-hmm. many times. Um, and it's, it's uh, very interesting. Right, the subtleness. <laughs> mm. right? I mean, it's interesting you said the, about the white rice, because if you ask Japanese person traveling a long time outside Japan, what do you want to eat? White rice. Yeah. yeah. Clean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. really, that's the essence of yeah. you know Japanese DNA. <laughs> mm. You got it. So yeah, <laughs> impressive. Um, so, what's your favorite Japanese ingredient? So ingredients. Oh boy, that's so many ingredients. I love uh, yuzu kosho, mm. <laughs> which is uh, yeah. so it's a, a spicy paste mm-hmm. made of uh, yuzu, the, the right. wonderful uh, citrus fruit and uh, pepper, mm-hmm. green pepper, green peppercorns. Right. Um, there's also in a red version mm-hmm. um, and there's now there's this wonderful version um, this uh, it's, it comes in a little bottle like Tabasco and they actually call it Yuzusko <laughs> so you can it's liquid and right. you can shake it out mm. in, in squirts like a, like a, like a Tabasco mm, the Yuzusko show I think people you know Kosho is a Pepper, pepper, like you know, right. but it's not spicy. It's more saltier, right? Milder. Mm. It's not well, spicy. some of them are pretty, pretty hot, you know, mm-hmm. pretty spicy. But um, this yuzusko is great because it's so convenient. You can put mm. it on just anything. They <laughs> have it at, uh, yeah, sure, at um, Sunrise Market. Okay. Um, what else? Oh gosh, there's so many ingredients. I love. There's a fish there, the uh, noduguro, mm. the black throat, that is just. Sensational. Mm. I don't think it. If you, if you get it here, it's going to come from Japan. It's very expensive. But I think it's only uh, available on the Jap- Japan seaside. Right. right. Yeah, that's why, like in Kanazawa and mm. Ishikawa, um, you see it there. And there's uh, my friend uh, Takagi-san at Zenia Restaurant in, in Kanazawa prepares mm. it every time I go. He knows he has to prepare it if it's in season, mm. and. Um, he does such a spectacular job with it. And uh, by the way, I was appointed by the governor of the prefecture of Ishikawa as uh, Shokubunka Taishi, which is a oh, cultural wow. and fine dining ambassador for wow. real. So I, I try to spread the word about Great. that wonderful prefecture. Right, because Kanazawa and, you know, that area is uh, it's actually Noto Peninsula. Mm. It's rich in culture, food, everything. Amazing, yeah. Right. Uh, the, the plateware, the lacquerware, the uh, uh, kimono, the... Um, Kagayuzen, so many wonderful things go on there. Mm. The food is just sensational. Right. And you can get there easily with the, the bullet train, Shinkansen. Now the bullet train just Tokyo. started in March, yeah. Mm. I rode on it this time for the first time. It's quite quite lovely. <laughs> mm. Okay. So, um, and you you have, I heard that you got interested in Japanese tradition and uh, also uh, Japanese knives that you mentioned earlier, mm. right? And I heard you have a collection of it. Yes, I do. It's a little ridiculous. I have so many. But, the, you know, they are such beautiful um, implements and 
it's like well they they descended from the, of course the Japanese sword the katana and the thing about the Japanese sword that to me so embodies elements of the Japanese culture is that putting aside any firearms this is one of the deadliest weapons known to man in the right hands and yet it's a work of art mm-hmm. you see them in museums they're admired they're bought at very high prices and the, the knives to some degree <clears throat> are kind of like that they're, there's nothing as uh, wonderful to work with as sharp um, as a Japanese kitchen knife and yet they're so beautiful the high you know the high end handmade uh, hand forged blades like they make in Sakai these are they're works of art it's mm. amazing it's amazing uh, so what's the difference to you between western knives and Japanese knives well there's many things for one the big difference is the well the materials that they use and western knives are shaped in a V mm-hmm. uh, Japanese knives are one sided mm-hmm. the traditional Japanese knives so mm-hmm. uh, if you just think about that a V can never really be as sharp as a one sided mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a wedge that has to cut through a piece of whatever right. you're cutting and just the skill and the combination of the metals uh, and the skill that they use to put it together makes it so sharp that uh, mm. they're they're incredible to use. Right, like yeah. sashimi gets shiny sure. surface. And yeah, you can't, you could not imagine doing sushi or this kind of thing without those knives. They mm. just they make it possible, of right. course, with the skill of the of the, mm. the chef. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's they're beautiful. There's just so I have one that's was made by a Japanese sword maker. And there's mm. only one in the whole world that he made for me. And wow. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think uh, you said uh, it's almost uh, using Japanese knives is like owning a Ferrari. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's in the that uh, cook that book that um, Saori San Saori Kawano wrote. Um, of a Korean knife company. Yeah, it's what I said was that the the German knives are like owning a Mercedes, mm. which is there's nothing wrong with that. Very high quality, very reliable, durable. But Japanese knives, it's like Lamborghini or Ferrari. Mm. It's a higher performance, but in the same way, they demand more of the owner, of mm. the user. You need to know what you're doing, and especially the Japanese traditional knives. <clears throat> and many Western cooks, when they first pick one up, are kind of are very uncomfortable. They don't know what to do with it because mm. those knives are very task-specific. Um, and being one, one-sided, uh, it feels different in your mm. hand. Right. You know, so you have to get used to it. Mm. So, how many knives do you have? Oh gosh, over a hundred, I think. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I'm sure you're using them too. I do. Well, not all of them, but I do use them, and uh, I treasure them, and uh, it's great to use them and sharpen them, and just you know keep them. They're uh, they're so wonderful. Right, and also I heard uh, another collection you have is a kimono kimono yes (laughs) that's uh kind of hard to explain uh that first trip in 83 when i went with the the, um, swiss chef walking through the streets one day in tokyo i passed by a kimono shop and i was just dumbfounded i just stood there and looked at uh i think it was a formal men's you know uh uh, kimono and i said to myself i recall saying one day i want to wear that you know, and uh, subsequent trips, and I, I actually did look into it and buy one, and I had one made at what turned out to be like the best. I inadvertently went to what's the best shop in in all of Japan, practically, and um, they made me 
the uh, the whole outfit. They were very surprised because they thought I would just <laughs> look at it and then leave. Um, and since then, it's been it's been so much fun. Uh, you know, it's like <clears throat> it's like learning another language. It's mm. like dressing in another language. Right. Well, the you know, just to be clear for the listeners, you know, there is a quick version that's yukata. It's like you know. Yes, like, very different. Yeah. yeah, but the kimono, I have to hire someone to put it on because yes. you know it can be. You know, you have the belt that has to be really precisely mm-hmm. shaped and, uh, you know, tightened because it's going to fall off otherwise. Well, the, it should be said that the women's uh, wearing kimono for a woman is much more complicated mm. than for a man. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, if, I feel like if, if you don't enjoy wearing clothes and, you know, if clothes mean nothing to you, you're not going to like kimono either. Right. So, but if you do... Um, there's so much to work with. The, the fabrics, the colors, the combinations are quite... There's much more to offer than in Western clothing, I feel. Mm-hmm. So for a man, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just sort of got into it. And, and with practice and with good teachers, I got good at it. Mm-hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, on, as I mentioned to you, on uh, in December, there's a... Um, magazine in Japan, which is probably the top kimono magazine. It's called Utsukushi Kimono, which yes. means beautiful kimono. Mm-hmm. That's the best. <laughs> yeah, uh, did a two-page story on me and with a few of my kimono mm. uh, wearing them, and uh, I was really, really thrilled. <laughs> wow. When it's going to come out, I will post it on the, our page, Japanese page. Yeah. Right. Um, so how many kimono do you have? Oh, gosh. more Probably more than 40. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and it's a kimono itself, you know, by making, you know, the fabric itself takes it's it's on arts. Oh, definitely. Definitely. The weaving and the the materials they use just to to develop the silk, the ways of creating the silk and then mm-hmm. the weaving and it's it's amazing and you see some of the results of that are just stupendous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have time but there's a funny story about um on one or more occasions, I've worn kimono in New York, but I think I have to stop because it's, it's people just don't understand. And I, was, <laughs> I was I was going to an event at Japan Society one afternoon, one evening, and it's close to my apartment, so I decided to walk. So I'm walking to the street, and I get to the corner, and we're full, you know, full the whole outfit, and this truck pulls up at the light with two guys in it, and I hear, I can hear them talking, and one of them saying to the other one. Yeah, I'm sure he is. He must be. He must be. So he leans out the window and says, Hey, you. So I'm, I'm getting ready now for what he's going to throw at me. I don't know what's going to come. He says, I said, yes. He said, are you a rabbi? <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, yes, I am. And I just kept walking. <laughs> so that's the kind of uh, misunderstanding that happens in New York. <laughs> well, you can keep trying to educate people yeah. a little better. <laughs> right. Okay, um, so we're kind of running out of time, but then, you know, I think uh, you mentioned earlier before the show, you know, you asked often about uh, starging in Japan. Mm. You know, a lot of chefs wants to starge in Japan, right? Uh, from here? Yeah. Yes, oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. And with the Gohan Society that mm. uh, Saori Kawano founded, and I'm a founding board member, we actually send mm. uh, uh, young cooks or chefs even, on scholarship to work in Japan. We just did that recently. Mm. Four chefs went to Ishikawa mm. and worked in restaurants in Kanazawa. It was a great experience. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. I do want to mention that one restaurant of my friends. Mm. Uh, people are always asking me, well, where, where should I go in Tokyo? Yeah, and right. So there's a, this fellow's name is Hideki Ii, 
I I is his last name. He used to work as the um, chef in New York here at the Japanese Mission to the United States, and he's finally opened his own place. It's in uh, Akasaka mm -hmm. in Tokyo, and it's called, it's a central Tokyo. Akasaka, yes, right? it's called Shirosaka. Mm. So Akasaka means red hill. Mm. So Shirosaka is a play on that, a white hill. Right, and it was just the most wonderful place. There's only about nine seats. Um, but uh, a wonderful kind of casual kaiseki, a lot of it based on cooking on the binchotan, the Japanese mm. charcoal, which is really delicious and amazing. And not expensive and um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place. And if you go, please tell them I sent you, Michael Romano. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll take good care of you. But it's uh, Shirosaka mm. and uh, a great, great place. Right. And you can experience the, the Japanese, essence of Japanese cuisine there. Absolutely. Right. Great. All right. Uh, so thank you for joining us today, Michael. My pleasure. Right. And uh, um, do you often go back to Japan? Uh, three or four times a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm well, spending three or four months mm. uh, a year. Right. Yeah. Well, you may retire there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of have already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, please come back. Thank and you. Keep us posted on the Japanese current. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Scene. So, um, well, if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we just launched a beautiful new website, so please visit our page. And Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at um, heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and the Stitcher podcast. And today's show was made possible by Santori, and our engineer is Liz Smith. I will see you next week. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 non-profit to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening <laughs>